I invite you to open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, if you're visiting with us today, we've been studying this amazing book and discovered so many times that key thoughts, key ideas that have been a part of our faith for so long found their origins here. It's here where we first heard of the goodness of God and experienced that together. But we are deep into it now. Remember that the book of Ephesians can be divided uh, basically in half. The whole front part talking about who God is and how his great desire is to both permeate us, but then through us to fill every nook and cranny of the entire world with the presence of Jesus, the presence of God. And so the first three chapters we've been doing, do you remember how it ended, that amazing prayer last week? For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Chapter 3, verse 15 now. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened. Paul has this amazing prayer, um, asking God to fill us and strengthen us for this task of filling the whole earth with His glory. I'm so grateful that you're back here today to open God's Word again. What is our part in this? What does it mean that God has entrusted so great a treasure as the gospel to us? Paul now flips it in the next three chapters. He's going to say, this is what this looks like. This is what it looks like. And he uses a couple of metaphors uh, that we'll unpack over the next couple of weeks. The metaphor of walking, right? Walking and the metaphor of calling, understanding his calling in our life. And to do that, he's going to talk about different ways that we are called. And today, my great prayer is that we'll begin to understand some of those at a deeper level. Let me just say, um, I was... I was um, flipping through the internet or something last week and uh, came across a, a, a study that affirmed what every mother in the room already knew, that there is there's something that happens uh, at birth um, between a mother and child when, um, when the, the child is laid on the mother's chest right after birth. There's a bonding that happens. There's a connection that happens, and, and that's not news. Uh, what is news is the scientific support that that bonding, in fact, happens then. They, they discovered that the most important thing they can do, more important than cleaning up the baby and doing all those things, is get that baby to the mother as fast as you can, right? And, and, um, and, and to allow that bonding to happen. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? The mother and the child have been connected for nine months, right? Um, they've, been, they've been intimately connected. The child could hear the, the mother's heartbeat, right? They, there's some evidence that suggests the child can recognize other voices, right? They sound a little ruffled to the child, but, but, um, but the child recognizes other voices. And, 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 and so the, when the child comes into this brave new world, you can imagine how terrifying that is. When the child comes into the light and comes into the cold and comes into the world, the most important thing is to reestablish that connection. I think the Apostle Paul understood that. I, see, see, we were always hidden with God in Christ, right? 
But then all of a sudden we come out into this world and we don't feel the same connectedness that we did before. And, 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 he, and he challenges us to get back in connection. Get back in connection with God. Get back in connection with one another. Get back in connection with our purpose. And so he opens this practical part of the book of Ephesians with those powerful words. I, I, I urge you, right, as a prisoner of the Lord... Um, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I'd like to unpack that with you a little bit if I can today. What is that calling? And we're going to rely a little bit on some of the things we've learned in the first three chapters uh, as well. So if you, you're seeing something, say, where is that in that passage? It's because we're building on the first three chapters. What is this calling that he's urging us to walk in a manner worthy of it, right? We understand that idea. If we're set apart for some holy purpose, if a body like this entrusts to us uh, a holy purpose, a calling, then we, we want to we walk in a manner worthy of that calling. But, but what is the calling? I want to suggest to you first that your calling, as we've seen in the first three chapters, is to be in Christ, right? In other, and then there's a beauty of that. It's like the pregnancy portion of this thing, that we are in a mom, right? Our life is hidden in God with Christ, we saw, right, in Ephesians. The calling is to be in Christ, first and foremost, but then it's also to be like Christ, right? To be like Christ. Um, in... in uh, Verse 2, he says, what does that look like? And especially next week, we'll rely on verse 2 here of chapter 4 to say, what, what, is, what does it mean to intentionally try and be like Christ? You see it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He's describing Jesus. He's describing Jesus. We learned in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that before the foundation of the world, you were set apart. He uses a stronger word. You were predestined, right? You were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, to be like Christ. That's God's high calling. On your life, it's high calling. Walk in a manner worthy of that, child of God. Walk in a manner worthy of that. But he goes on, and we realize that this calling is is not only, that would be enough, it's not only to be in Christ and to be like Christ, but it's also a a calling to be in community. And, And I want to bust that word out just for a second, to be in common unity, right? To be in common unity. Jesus said the way that the world's going to know that He exists is our unity, our common unity. And so community is really important as well. God created us to be in community. And we'll look at some of the way He calls everybody to be in community. But I want to think for just a moment about the way He calls us to be in Christian community. Uh, many of you, actually about 80 of you, have been through a thing called discipleship triads. 
And, and at one point you recognize that, that Jesus was very big on community. But he, he displayed that community. He ordered his community in, in a particular way. The way that he would relate to other people. Remember when you worked through that together? I'm going to start with a second one, which is going to foul up our computer here, I think. But um, we, it was very obvious to see that he had Peter, James, and John. That's the PJJ right there. Peter, James, and John. And he sought to be with them, right, uh, on a regular basis. They were kind of his accountability group. Five times he left behind the other disciples and took them in. One of the communities that he entrusted himself to was this community of intimacy and transparency with, with three other people. And, and I so have enjoyed it. I can look around the room and see discipleship partners that we've been in, in groups together with um, sitting at the feet of Jesus with you and, and holding one another accountable, learning the word of God. And, and asking each other hard questions. One of the ways he ordered his relationships was in threesomes. The most famous one is the small group, right? The twelve, right? His team, his team, the people he went to war with, right? The place of support, of challenge and closeness and shared mission. That's why we're so big at all of that on being in a small group somewhere. Some place where you can, can um, uh, do common mission together, where you can open God's word together in a place of, of love and support. One of the less familiar ones is that group of 72, right? At all of that, we've called that his missional community. I'm calling it here his tribe, right? His, his, his extended family on mission together. And in all of that, we're made up three or four major missional communities of people, some expressing that passion in the area of working with seniors and, and widows and, and the fatherless. Um, others, others called to feed the hungry and, and care for the poor. Still, still others expressing that in, in, in many other ways. Um, he put himself in a missional community as well. And then, and then over and over again we read that he had a heart of compassion for the crowds as well. And I want to think in crowds not just in terms of, of out there crowds. That's important. Jesus recognized that faith was expressed predominantly in the day-to-day, not in the one hour on the Sabbath. Um, it was expressed predominantly when you're out there in the world. But there also is this beauty of the Christian crowd, too. There's just something about being together in worship on a Sunday morning and, and hearing someone else's voice speak to me. We'll see that next week. But hearing someone sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and, and making melody in their heart to the Lord. There's something encouraging that comes from being with the congregation as well as the crowd. God has placed a call on your life and it is to be in Christ. It is to be like Christ, but it is also to be in community. Why is this so important? Well, I skipped the first one, didn't I? Um, and, um, we think also about um, his one-on-one relationship with Peter. But before we think about Peter, I want you to think about his one-on-one relationship with his Heavenly Father, right? 
Why is that so important? Because there he found his identity. There he found his destiny. I used that big word a little earlier, predestination, right? Simply means your destiny, what you were created for, your purpose. Jesus, fully God yet fully man, had to spend that one-on-one time with his heavenly Father as well. So I want to encourage you. How are you doing? Are you in Christ? Have you trusted uh, Jesus Christ's work on your behalf? Are you growing? Remember last week, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, but we are being saved from the power of sin. That is that process of being made holy, of sanctification. Um, how, are you, how are you doing in becoming like Christ? Well, it takes a community to do that. It takes a loving community. And those precious moments in my church experience has been when someone came and said, do you realize what you're doing? The pain that you're causing? Do you realize? I know you don't realize it. And I, I want to bring that to your attention. When someone loved me enough in community, to invite me to be more like Jesus and less like Dave. Are you experiencing? Are you experiencing this calling to deeper community? I want to go one step further with you because Paul does. I want to talk today too about your personal calling. I have to make an artificial distinction because um, it's, I think it's just a little easier to grasp if we recognize that in our personal calling, there is a general calling um, that every single follower of Jesus has. So I'm saying it's a personal calling, but it's no different than yours, Christian. My calling is no different than yours in this general sense. And what is that? It is that, that sense to be conformed to the image of Jesus, right? We're all called. It's a very personal calling, but we're all called to that. And then as we've seen over the last um, years, especially together, there's this calling to make disciples who make disciples. And, and, and so at its simplest level, um, we can encourage one another. How are you doing in the general calling of being conformed to the image of Jesus? And how are you doing in this purpose that he has given you? To make fully devoted followers of all tribes and tongues. To to make disciples who evidence that they genuinely are disciples because they make disciples as well. God cares about your calling in Christ and to be like Christ. He cares about your calling to be in community. But there's an individual aspect of this as well. To be conformed and to make disciples. But I want to go one step further with you uh, today, if we can. Because in Ephesians, one of the four places in Scripture... Um, that, that God really reveals the beauty and the majesty and the miracle that is our individual calling as well. And, and, and I'm gonna, I invite you last week to begin thinking about that in terms of GPS. Remember that? How do we find where we are in God's kingdom? How do we, how do we find where we're going in God's kingdom? Well, in our, in our modern world, we use GPS, but in, in God's kingdom, he uses Ephesians 4, right? And, and, and the acronym that I'm using, GPS, stands for gifts and passions 
and story. Remember that from last week? Gifts and passions and stories. The, the notes will catch up with us in just a second. Let's think about gifts. I'm including in that the gifts that you were given in your mother's womb, right? I'm including in that each of you were given amazing gifts that would not maybe some of them express themselves for 10 or 20 or 30 or 60 years. But God gave you some natural talents that were with you from birth. And it's, it's so beautiful when you're in a group to see each person's uniqueness, to see their God-given talents, right? And I want to include that because there's a lot of confusion, I think, in Christendom about those and spiritual gifts. God gives everyone created in His image, who is everyone, right? Uh, gifts in, in natural abilities, right? And they're different from one another. We need each other, right? Um, so I don't ever want to minimize that. It's just as much of God as spiritual gifts, right? But here, in Ephesians 4, he also takes us to another level with this idea of spiritual gifts. Now, let me, let me um, try and delineate the difference here. Natural gifts are given to everyone. Everyone has different ones, and they're given at birth or before birth. You're probably hearing in the back of my voice here, uh, um, a brokenness over our culture right now, right? That, um, that is spectacular in its disrespect for uh, life and for, um, for the beauty of God's creation before that person ever comes into the world. And, and um, we not only, as a nation, are... Uh, are going to suffer the results of that, but we're actually exporting that idea all over the world as well. And and I just want you to know my heart, uh, and I want to be very clear about that, that um, that God knew us in our mother's womb. God, God gave us life. There is no judgment or condemnation. If at some point in your life you made choices that... that um, that you did not understand at that time. There's always grace for that. But let's not legislate. Let's not legislate death, right? Let's not um, legislate um, uh, one life over another. Let's, let's entrust that to the only one who is worthy of such a decision, to God himself. And so I just want to encourage you um, understand the biblical perspective on, on souls. Before you were conceived, I knew you. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 2, I think, maybe 3. Um, but, but also on life, uh, while you were still in your mother's womb, I appointed you. I gave your life meaning and purpose, right? Um, um, God's plan for us begins long before a person ever comes into the world. So I'm sorry to go off on that for just a second, but it's, it's critical. It's happening in our culture right around us. Uh, if you're mind, you're, you're struggling with me, let's talk. Let's love each other enough to talk about it together. Um, but let's not, uh, let's not destroy what God has given meaning and purpose to. Um, let's trust him for that. Wow, how did I get off on that? Because, um, because 
while you were in your womb, he gave you natural abilities. And then when you were born again, interesting how God loves to use that imagery, doesn't it? He gave you spiritual gifts. He gave you unique abilities um, that were intended for the sole purpose of building up the body of Christ. That's why we call them spiritual gifts. There is a gift of teaching that someone who doesn't know Christ can have and because they're created in God's image and we celebrate it. My children had amazing teachers in the public schools and, and in private schools and, and, and in home school. They had an amazing teacher. Um, um, we're grateful for those, that gift. But there's also a spiritual gift of teaching which is given at rebirth for the building up of the body of Christ. And many of you have been given that gift. There's actually 27 distinguishable ones in Scripture, including some, um, some surprises from, from obscure places in Scripture, like the gift of craftsmanship. It's a spiritual gift given to a guy to build the temple, right? Um, God is in the business of giving gifts. That's why when you see us lay hands on someone, you often hear me say the expression, God, if there's any gift that they need to fulfill this calling which you have placed on their life, give it to them now, right? Through the laying on of our hands, give it to them now. And everyone in, so if I can do this, Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, everyone's given at least one. Many are given multiple spiritual gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so um, uh, the, the beauty of that idea is that they're all unique and they're all necessary for the fully, full functioning of the body of Christ. You're going to hear another uh, kink in my voice here because um, um, I've been guilty of, in my mind, elevating some Gifts above others, right? Uh, God does not do that. God does not do that. I know that that He Paul says in in First Corinthians First uh, Corinthians thirteen, eagerly desire the greater gifts. But He's talking about love there. He's not talking about administration or preaching, right? He's talking He's talking about the the higher gift of love that that surpasses all these. Other things. A part of your individual calling is, is the giftedness which God has given you. And most of us have spent our lives trying to orient our gifts around somebody else's gift mix. Instead of saying, God, I'm going to believe that you uniquely made me and uniquely gifted me. And there's, there's some powerful tools. Be careful a little bit. You can go online and answer ten questions and it'll give you your gift mix online. Be very careful about that. No, the, the, better, the better place to discover, and I'm thinking about the triads. Remember that about the 18th week or something of the triad was when the people who know you say, this is what I see. I remember over and over again being astounded that other people saw gifts in me which I did not see in ourselves. That's why we need to be in Christ. But we need also to be in community so that we can elicit each other's natural and spiritual gifts. 
But there's another. What's the P in this GPS? It's our passions. If, as you've heard over and over again from me, if the giftedness is an expression of what you are to do, I didn't leave a space for that in your notes, but that's how we understand it at all of that. The gift is the what you are to do. The passion, the passion is the where and the how you are to do it, okay? The gifts are the what you are to do. The passions are the where and how you, you are to do it. I'm looking at Denise over here, and, and one of her passions is her family. And, um, and her extended family. How many families have we been through? And you know, she just keeps drawing family to herself. That's important. The people. Here's the first blank there. The, some, the, a good place to start with your passions are the people that you're drawn to. And it can be individual people. It can be, um, it can be uh, 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 tribes of people, right? Um, our dear friend, Ahmed, is back here in the back. Our dear friends, um, uh, uh, Nick and Jennifer Colbert, left a few weeks ago to go to um, uh, Chattanooga uh, to especially work with the, the Muslim population in Chattanooga. They, their, their passion is for Muslims. They're, they're, they're um, learning Arabic. They're moving their entire family. They're, they're doing what they need to do to reach that people group. People are a great indicator of, of where maybe you want to be thinking about. And, and, and again, many of you, your first response is to think about your family. That's God-given. Um, that's God-given. That's your primary sphere of influence. But as we hinted at earlier today, that, that another way is that what is it that makes you so mad that you pound the table, right? What is it that makes you weep? And what is it that, that, that elicits emotion in you? Oftentimes it's for causes. It's for causes. You heard my heart earlier for the cause of, of, um, of children in the womb. But, but that's just scratching the surface, right? I named several earlier, but, but in Isaiah 58, 6 through 7, about 80 of you should know what that verse is, um, uh, he talks about poverty, he talks about slavery, he talks about homelessness, he talks about hunger, he talks about nakedness, he talks about uh, widows and orphans, right? He, he talks about these, these uh, cross-people causes that God has a heart for. Don't mess with God and fatherless children, right? Don't mess with him on that. Um, he will rain down uh, something on you, right? He will rain down because he, has, he cares about the motherless and the fatherless, right? And so uh, a lot of us are drawn to those. God bless you. God bless you in that. Our goal at all of that, it's going to sound a lot like Home Depot, and that might have... Some indication of where I spend my time when I'm not at all that. Um, remember, what, it's not, it's not, uh, we can do it, you can help, right? It's you can do it, we can help, right? And, and that's, that's, there's some gospel component to that, right? The purpose of this community of faith is to say, what are you passionate about? We want to help you make a difference there. In any way, it might be prayer support, it might be financial support. What you are passionate about doing, gather a small group of people around you with that passion and we will help you make it happen, right? 
That's why we're so diverse in the, in the ministries that we're involved with. Even the small number of people in the room because, because they're expressions of different people's passions. So sometimes our passions have to do with people. Sometimes they have to do with causes, right? But this is the aha moment for me. Uh, those of you who've ever been in a triad with me know that when we got to that, that passage, I just was not comfortable. Remember that? Was not comfortable with this spiritual giftedness thing because because he talks about your energies. And he, and he talks about a thing that doesn't translate into English at all here. He talks about um, uh, something here that I'm going to call influence style. You heard it a little while ago, and it went by, it sounded like biblical language, right? He, he calls some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds and some to be teachers. Is that just a five count on spiritual giftedness? Or is he talking about something different? And I think this week, in, in preparing for this, for the first time, I really got a sense of that I had it in the wrong categories. Those things aren't so much, although there is a gift of apostleship, there is a gift of prophecy. Um, these things that he's talking about, these five, I call them A-P-E-S-T, A-P-E-S-T these Five things are ways that you influence other people. Your passion might be along one of these lines. And when I started thinking about you, when I started thinking about our congregation and, and faces started coming before, I could almost name people in each of these categories, right? What are we talking about? Uh, don't hear an uh, uh, eight-foot statue in St. Peter's Square when I say apostle, right? An apostle is simply a sent one, right? But, but what, what is this? What is this um, style? It's that, it's that sending and extending the kingdom of God to those who don't yet know it, or in a way that they don't yet know. Several of you, this is a primary influence. You want to go on the leading edge. Nick and Jennifer are great examples. You want to be on the leading edge of something. You want to go to that place. You want to either send somebody or you want to go there yourself, but the idea is to extend the kingdom of God someplace where it isn't. That's, that's this influence style called apostleship. There's another one called prophet. And, and that's the ones who question and challenge. Wait, wait, I hear what you're saying, Pastor Dave, but, but how does that align with what else we know about the kingdom of God? There are those who are called to keep the community in, in faithfulness to the kingdom of God. And, and sometimes it comes across like, well, you're a stick in the mud. But no, it's, it's, it's that loving and trusting uh, one another to God's purposes. Um, God forever has put people, and it didn't stop in Acts chapter 2, who have that influence style. Uh, I, I want to I align what we're doing with, with God's holy purpose. I want to question and challenge everything to make sure that we're faithful to the, to the Lord. Um, I have a, a person in mind here in our congregation, but he's in the room, and so I'm not going to name his name. Um, I will name some other names. Um, what's this next one? Evangelist. Oh, have you ever met? Uh, so, you've probably met someone with the gift of evangelism. Um, one of the, um, my favorite examples of that as a pastor here in town is Tyrone Edwards has the gift of evangelism. And we discovered, we studied together for about five or six years, traveled the world together, and uh, what we discovered was that he particularly had the gift of evangelism with beautiful women. 
and, uh, and so we'd be in airports, and, and, and there's a guy sitting here, and there's a gal here, but Tyrone always was able to evangelize the gal that was in the room, and I gave him uh, difficulty no end as a result of that. But he, it just happened naturally for him. But what is this influence style now? Not gift. What is this influence style of evangelism? It's that, it's that ability to proclaim and invite. I'm going to call you out, Sarah. I just think you have that gift. Uh, you, you just have a winsome way of inviting people into, into something that they might not have tried otherwise. It's, it's, it's a gift of, of sharing God's word in such a way that makes it invitational. There's several people in the congregation with this gift of, of, of shepherding, of guiding and providing for other people, right? And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So, so we have at least eight or nine different groups of people, and each one has their own little shepherd, the person that prays for and loves and, and gently corrects, and, and when there is a need, provides for their flock, it's, a, it's not only a gift, but it is also an influence style. And then we have, we're blessed all of it again with many people who can organize thoughts and, and, and make something that's muddy clear. I like to say bring the cookies down to a lower shelf, right? People with this gift of teaching and it's organizing and explaining the great truths of God. You see how when, when you start to um, bring these things into alignment, who you're uniquely gifted to be, the, the passions, the, the where question, who are you called to love and to serve, then you start to be able to orient yourself in, in God's holy purpose. Like a GPS, you're starting. Now you've got two things triangulating, helping you understand where you were. Where you are, excuse me. The third one we introduced last, last week was this idea of story. And in that, I'm, I'm including this whole idea. A lot of us ask, where were you, God, in this season of my life when I experienced these things? Uh, and then as we, as we continue in faithfulness to God, we say, oh, that's why that was. That was a unique, that part of my story was a unique part of the preparation that you're making in my life for me to join you in your kingdom purposes. You heard it a little while ago in, in Chad's. For, for a while, a part of his story was very frustrating because he had the kingdom of God in his head, right? And he was doing all the religious things that a person with the kingdom of God in his head should do, but he didn't have the relationship with God. And when, when God made that 18-inch journey in his life from his head to his heart, he experienced all the things that he talked about before. Did you hear what he said at the very end? Do you have a story like that? It won't be exactly like his. It's like it wouldn't be like Shauna Lee's or Tom's last week. But your story is a part of God's unique locating you for kingdom purposes. And rather than run from our stories, rather than hide them, we've got to trust that if God allowed it to happen, that he has some greater purpose for it as well, right? Some of you are saying, well, he didn't allow it. I just, yeah, I know. But God is sovereign. And he gave you freedom within certain boundaries to make choices that that you look back on and regret, but now 
are a part of his sovereign purpose in your life. Now are a part of your story. I really want to encourage you. Do you were you blessed when over the last week three different people kind of shared a one-minute testimony? Many of you, that's all you remember from the other. And that's, that's powerful. That, that story. How many people could be blessed by your story? I'm laughing at myself because I printed up more of those sheets because you all took them last week. A way of forming the story. And um, I'm going to actually ask Mike Libs because he snuck out to get copy while we were talking. Would you go up to the copier upstairs and bring down that stack of paper and put it on the foyer table out there for me? It's on the copier upstairs. Would you do that for me, Michael? Thank you. We made up, we made up more of them for you. Um, story is such a powerful part of, of your testimony that, that we really want to invite you to risk thinking about it. And thank you, all of you who have been called on relatively short notice to, to tell your story. When God gives you the courage, I want to know. And, and what we'll do is when you, when you tell me a little bit of your story, I'll, I will, I will, I will put you in line for that, that worship service where your story will be a part of what God does to make a difference in other people's lives. The greatest freedom comes when we discover where our story fits into his story. Amen? And, and um, I want to invite you to do that today. I know your story has not been one of... of uh, unbridled joy uh, your entire life. Uh, your story is probably like mine. There were moments when you did not understand what was happening to you and you had to trust that God knew what he was doing. Take comfort, beloved. Take amazing comfort that God's own son had a story like that. My God, my God, he cried out on the Christ, on the cross. Why have you forsaken me? Right? God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from my lips, he said. But God, who loved him more than you could ever imagine, knew that there was no other way. That this part of his story would set us free. I call you today. Walk in a manner worthy of your high and holy calling. And begin right now, as you come to the table of the Lord, risk believing that Jesus' work was enough for you. Risk believing that his story was played out so that you might have life. Risk believing that God's grace is sufficient for you today. And if God would allow, come, come to the table of the Lord and remember. And you can, you can physically say that if you want as you're getting ready to take that bread. I remember. I remember Jesus. And, and partake of the grace that is yours at the table of the Lord. Oh God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for for hiding us in him until such a time for some today, God, when we would begin to put together the puzzle pieces enough to see a vision that you have for our lives, where we would begin to trust you unreservedly, God, whatever it takes, wherever 
You would send whoever you would call me to. I will be faithful. I will be faithful, God. And I will trust you. So God, we can't do this apart from your grace. So take this simple bread, would you? And, and this simple juice and make them the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Father, spiritually infuse them with grace so that as we in obedience take them, we might find grace in our time of need. And we might leave this place, God, filled with your Holy Spirit, ready to do whatever you would ask. Oh, we love you, God. And thank you for this holy moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Will our servers please come forward? Did you find those, uh, those pages? Thank you, Mike. Um, so again, if you would like to find out, go ahead and sit down when you're ready. If you would like, um, we would invite you to take one, um, risk it, risk summarizing your story in just one minute, and, and, and then ask God, how are you going to use my story? You used it today, Chad, um, but my suspicion is he's going to use it much more powerfully in the a lunchroom at Trailer Brothers or in some obscure place that he sends you. Um, so I'm looking forward with joy to seeing what God is going to do through you. Be filled right now with his presence through this sacrament of, his Lord, of the Lord's Supper. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. In other words, when you take this into your body, you take me into your body. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm making a commitment to you today. My life for yours, right? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul says, as often as you do this, Not just once a month. As often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's life, the Lord's death, the Lord's resurrection. You proclaim the gospel. Begin today, beloved. Begin today. As always, if you're in a place this morning where you're not ready to partake of that, that is beautiful and fine. We respect that. No end. There's no judgment on this. It's only invitation, not expectation, right? Um, if you're in that place, just gently let the elements go by and, and just um, pray for and think about those around you and lift one another up. Come, would you, to the table of the Lord.